Yo. Hey guys. Hey. I'm just saying. Uh, you're so you're so down now. I'm like excited. Like, hey guys, how are I'm you so today? Yeah, and he's like, he's like, voice. I know. He's like, hey. I'm like, fuck you. Then all right, shit. Why do you want to suck up my energy? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm I'm in a really good mood. Me too. I, I don't know why. It's standing in the air. I need to figure out what's causing it so I can keep doing more of it. Um, don't leave me. So I have no idea what's causing. It must be all the biohacking finally something is getting some sort of result, getting something out of it. Uh, yeah, figure right, out so, how, figure out if it can muffle that, please. How could how could did you say how could muffle that to like move that to you? you that bottle it. How you can bottle bottle it. Bottle, bottle it in positivity. Um. Hi Noel. Noel, how are you feeling? Feeling great, Scott. Thank you. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing I'm doing well. You should be pretty much uh, coming out of it, right? Yeah, done with chemo, done with radiation. Now feeling better every day and loving it. I'm so happy. It's amazing. Oh, that's good so news. I, at first, you. I didn't I didn't know your story, Noel. So I'll kind of sympathize first. I'm I'm sorry for what you're going through. Much respect, by the way, Noel. Oh, thanks very much. Noel's one of the. I've been. Um, I've been. Sorry, go ahead. I've been lucky. You've been lucky and you've been so been, po- been, so positive as well. And like you've been so it's incredible. So positive. And she's <laughs> she's you. one of the kindest panelists I've had. She sends me such one I remember you sent me a really kind message is a while ago. It was such a nice message that came across and uh, we never even you're so you're so good at what you do. You're so good at what you do and I don't know how you keep your energy levels up through all of the appreciate if only they appreciate the value enough. I bring to the ecosystem, but they don't. So I appreciate that Noah. <laughs> um I've sent out his head is his head is big enough. <laughs> I've sent out all the invites, guys. So, so guys, there's a lot of. Uh, I know there's some big stories today, or no, I wouldn't say big, but some some cool stories today, fun stories. But I would say there's a lot of big stories in the last two days, a lot that um, we couldn't cover. Um, and if if I get permission from Ryan and Scott, we'll go through today's agenda, and then I really want to touch on them from from JP Morgan and the, and banning crypto transactions to uh, the, the 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 ruling in China. When it comes to Bitcoin, uh, Bitcoin gaining some sort of legal recognition, um, and, and other pieces of news that I think the market is ignoring, like pudgy penguins and the deal they have with Walmart, um, it's just things that are interesting to mention. To- Mario, when I heard the pudgy, I heard the pudgy penguin story, I was like, Mario is going to love this. No, but look, think about it. Don't you wish you would have bought a penguin, not an eight, not a punk? No, I'm, I'm happy with my punk, but like, think about it. Like now, you can buy one of those pen- penguin toys that is linked to an NFT that you can claim online and then that NFT has utility within different games and ecosystems. So that connection between the physical and virtual world and that's connected with today's announcement of PayPal um, announcing uh, or not announcing some breaking news that they filed for patent application when it comes to transfer of NFTs. I've got the news right here. So PayPal files patent application for NFT transfer trading. But it's just like there's just so many good news across the board. And then Brian Armstrong put, comes out with a statement like, I'm actually surprised Bitcoin's above 20K. I'm like, what? I'm, what do you mean surprised above 20K with all the positive news? Like SEC action against cryptos is more delaying the inevitable. But the, the, the adoption... Can we, spend, can, we spend, can we spend one minute, just one minute, talking about Gary Gensler yesterday and how badly he got destroyed? Go ahead, yeah. And I saw you covered it in your show. So you, I didn't watch it. You know a lot more about it than I. I mean, I think, I think the, the, the best part was uh, when, um, when uh, uh, Richie Torres, tore him apart about the Pokemon card. You know, Gary Gensler is always the one that, that says that he is uh, technology agnostic, I think he calls himself. 
and uh, the senator said to him something like, uh, he said, um, he said, if I buy Pokemon, is that a security? And Gary Gensler says, no. He says, well, if I buy a Pokemon uh, uh, that's digitized on a token, is that a security? And he said, well, I'd need more context. And he said, well, didn't you say you are a agnostic? You know, like he, he, he ripped into him for being technology agnostic. And I think that, that was one of the highlights of me. I think Gary Gensler walked away with a lot of egg on his face yesterday. It was, it was, it was really one of the... I think the mood, the mood yesterday. I, like, I'm used to these, to these, to the um, uh, hearings, and I'm used to you know, like how heated they can get. But I think the mood yesterday was quite um, hostile. To I, I've, got, I've got the, I've got the clip. It's Ryan, I've got the clip. I got it out of your agenda. Do you want me to play it? The Pokemon card clip. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, oh, if you can. I just can't play it. Yeah, clips. Uh, hold on, hold on, let me do it now. Uh, I don't know what the context is, but I'll start again. Hold on. Suppose I were to purchase a Pokemon card. Would doing so constitute a security transaction? Uh, you could purchase a Pokemon card. It's I, I don't know what the context is, but if you're okay. just purchasing a Pokemon card... If I purchase a Pokemon card, is that a security transaction? Store, that's not a security. Okay. If I were to purchase a tokenized Pokemon card on a digital exchange via a blockchain, is that a security transaction? I, I'd have to know more. Okay, so so for you, the process of tokenization is what transforms a non-security transaction it, into it, a security transaction. Look, it, if if the investing I thought you were technology neutral. If the investing public is anticipating profits based upon the efforts of others and they're exchanging funds, that's the core. I see my time has expired. So that was, was, a, was a good setup by Torres here. Uh, it's. Uh, um, but but like I think it's it's yeah. an unfair. I do, I, it is, but it is. Would you say it's an unfair question because the context of that Pokemon card matters? So if they, if they no, not at all. What is the difference, Solon? If I'm buying a paper Pokemon card, or if I'm buying a Pokemon card that is digitized on a token, the only thing that is different is the technology. And I thought about this long and hard last night. I'm thinking about Gary Gensler has been the one to say he's technology agnostic. So if I'm buying a Pokemon card as an investor, just think about this. Like if I'm buying a Pokemon card, there is a chance that I'm buying a Pokemon card as an investor. There is. If I'm an investor, I think it's going to be a rare card. True. I'm buying the card. Gary Gensler says that's not a security. He said it's not a security. Right? True. True. So, so then why is it that if you just change the way that it's served, it all of a sudden becomes a security? It's not. Does anyone have a different take on this? Like, is it, it's got, Do you agree? Because I, I can't find a, a counter argument to what Rand said. There's no, no counter-argument. I do have a counter-argument, not that I agree with Gary Gensler on this at all, and I totally agree with you, Mario. Yesterday was quite cathartic, fun to watch. Um, it is dependent on the code and the, def the um, inclusion of the efforts of others. If the Pokemon card that is tokenized can increase in value because it is going to have the functionality that we were just referring to, that many NFTs are having now. If it is going to have additional functionality because it is now code, then that could be a different type of vehicle. Whereas if you are buying a Pokemon card at you know, a garage sale or something like that run, you're not buying it with the expectation it will improve because of the efforts of others. There's no work that has yet to go into that card. Can, can Whereas I if it's code, it could be. Can I ask you a question on this, Noel? Because that was the initial thought that I had. But then when I thought about it a bit further, that Pokemon card, when you buy it, you expect Pokemon, 
you know, you could use it in different. So if Pokemon adds more utilities to it, that Pokemon card gives you different characters in a game or allows you to participate in tournaments and make money. Pokemon launches new series. So you'd expect that card to go up in value because they launched a new game because you can use that in that new game. So there, but hold on. there is oh, Mario, they're doing that anyway. They just don't organize it on a virtual forum. Like there's lots exactly. of Pokemon. No, no, I'm, I'm, argue, I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. I'm agreeing with you. Yeah. Like that, that's like that's the point that Adran I'm making. Like you don't know well, like that's already existing within an actual physical Pokemon card. Why would it yeah. be different when it's tokenized? No, it's totally inconsistent because Pokemon cards will be valuable if Pokemon as a brand is valuable, right? So it's, uh, and that does depend on the efforts of others. But yeah, this is a big inconsistency that we saw with the CATS NFT action that was undertaken. It doesn't make a lot of sense, but that is the reasoning behind it. Stoner CATS, yeah, absolutely good example. Patrick, did you have a thought there? Yeah, so I would say I definitely agree with Ran. And I mean, I don't know if people how tuned into the Pokemon card industry they are, but there's actually full-time Pokemon card analysts. There's Pokemon card influencers. There's a whole industry around speculating Pokemon cards and buying them for profit. The one counter argument that I can see is that Pokemon cards do have utility within a game. People play tournaments with Pokemon cards. So if an NFT doesn't have that utility, then I could see the case that the NFT is solely for speculation. Whereas Pokemon cards, you can make the argument that they're for speculation, but also use in a game. Do we have any crypto lawyers? Yeah, I think we should move on. But that could happen. Uh, no. The game could happen anyway. It's just, I mean, we just have to accept. I mean, let's just understand something here. Gary Gensler prides himself on saying he's technology agnostic. The SEC is technology agnostic. He keeps saying that we're technology neutral, we're technology agnostic. We don't. Technology naturally is, improve, improves on previous uh, iterations. That's what technology is. It, it, it improves like uh, uh, where we were previously. That's what, it, that's what technology is about. And so if he's technology agnostic, I think, it's, I think that was the smartest analogy in the world because the logical output of paper is onto the internet. That's what happened. That's, we used to read magazines on paper. We now read them on the internet. It's the same thing. We're now moving from, from internet to blockchain. It's exactly the same, the same thing. So I think that, I think Richard Torres was actually genius but for, for, for bringing that up. Absolute, absolute genius. And I think it just, that was one of the things. I mean, I think the, the when Patrick McHenry actually went and, um, and climbed into into um, Gary Gensler in the beginning. He says, this is going to happen either the easy way or the hard way, but this is going to happen. Um, and if you force me to send you a subpoena, I'll send you a subpoena, but it, but it is going to happen. Uh, let's go that to the... So to... That was my favorite part. That was a, don't make me go there, but I'll go there. Love that. that and that would be a first. But guys, so can, can I ask one question? To send a, a subpoena is amazing. Um, I want to just ask one last question on this. Uh, Scott is boiling and muted. And then we'll move on to, what do you want to do a market overview right after that, Scott? Do whatever you want. Yeah, uh, we can do a market <laughs> overview. There's not that much to, uh, not that much to look at. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I, 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 just, got, I've got I a question. I can't believe we're on day two of talking about uh, Gensler again. Uh, last question on Gensler, too, Scott. Yeah. Last question on Gensler, and I want to ask you that question. Does any of what happened yesterday really matter? No. No, and that's why. And listen, I, I talked about this morning. I played the clips. I'm not begrudging anyone who uh, discusses it because it's it's worth discussion. But it's very, very, very clear that first of all, this is an extreme minority of Congress people who believe in this and are looking for very favorable sound bites. It's been proven that if you come out pro crypto and you make these big statements and you go against Gary Gensler, that you get this out outsized marketing push 
uh, as a congressperson or as a senator, you just get a ton of attention for very little effort. And so it, it works very well. But Gary Gensler doesn't care about any of this, right? He's not going to change his tune based on a few Congress people. He's not going to change his tune even if Congress passes different laws unless he literally has to. So it's my opinion. He goes in, he takes his beating for an hour, he moves on, goes back to his overlords uh, in the Elizabeth Warren camp and, and does his job, and that's it. So it makes for a really fun day of dunking on Gary Gensler, my favorite literally activity maybe in the entire world. You there, Scott? You cut out. Yeah, I lost. Him oh, I think Scott cut out. Yeah, yeah let's here. go through the, the next. Uh, oh, cool, cool. You yeah, you cut out for a second. Um, do you want to dig into the Gemini story, Scott? Because there's a lot there, and if you give me before, the mic, I've got too many pieces. Before go ahead, we go into Gemini, just one thing I think we should maybe point out. Something I did actually cover on the show, but probably worth mentioning, is we're starting to see miners send um, a lot of ex- uh, tokens, a lot of Bitcoin onto exchanges. So we, like, it's, I think in the last couple of days. We've had the largest um, send to exchanges by miners onto Bitcoin exchanges. I covered it in detail on my show, but just the headline headline story is we are 200 days away from the halving, right? A lot of these mining stocks are actually listed stocks on the stock exchange. And I think as a listed stock on the stock exchange, the last thing that you can do is tell your investors that uh, your revenue has been cut in half because of a Bitcoin halving. So expect our earnings to be cut in half. And so what we will probably see from now and for at least probably the next, you know, 200 days or so, or maybe slightly less, is we may see miners actually selling a whole lot of Bitcoin. And the reason why they're selling the Bitcoin is because they're going to need to use that money to invest in miners, space, cooling machines, whatever else they need to run mining operations. Because as the halving happens, the reward is going to be cut in half. Now, the assumption that the Bitcoin price stays the same they're going to need double the machinery, simplistically speaking, to generate the same kind of revenues. That is why I think every every uh, cycle, just before the halving, we get some kind of, to around about this period, we get some kind of sideways movement and maybe even some kind of dip. It's because the miners who own about 10% of all the Bitcoin in circulation actually land up selling so that they can reinvest in machines so that when they start earning half the rewards, they don't affect their revenue so much. And as I said, a lot of these mining stocks are actually listed stocks. So you don't want to go to the stock market and say, hey, our earnings are going to halve. And the only way to do that is to reinvest as much as you can into actually doubling your infrastructure. Cool. And let's, uh, Scott, do you want to go through the, um, uh, the Gemini story before I dig into all the stories that I have? Sure. I mean, we can. I, I think we can give the broad strokes, and then I'll I'll move on to Mike. And I know we had AP Abacus was supposed to be here as well to just discuss this. But effectively, the New York Post published an article yesterday that says the New York Post. We have to say, uh, of course, saying that uh, Gemini effectively the Winklevi, we call them the Winklevi themselves, had withdrawn two hundred eighty-two million dollars from the Gemini Earn program. And it implied that they did this knowing that there was already a hole in the DCG or Genesis balance sheet and that they were effectively getting ahead of it without telling their own customers uh, that they were withdrawing this massive amount of money to protect themselves, did nothing to protect the customers. And they got that off before, mind you, this was months before. So that was the story. Uh, I think a lot of us kind of looked at it and said, maybe this is a nothing burger. It was months before. They can do what they want with their money. That's life. Okay, then Gemini just responded within, I believe, the last hour, basically saying they're disappointed that the entire article is completely incorrect 
and that it's actually the opposite. This is what they said, and I quote, the Gemini Earn program terms permitted Gemini to establish a liquidity reserve for the benefit of Earn users by holding back a portion of the money they deposited into the Earn program. Amidst the broad market turmoil in the summer of 2022, we decided to increase the liquidity reserve. As a result, we pulled back 282 million of Earn users' funds from Genesis on August 9th, 2022, and held those funds in the liquidity reserve for their benefit. In hindsight, this proved to be a wise and prudent decision. As a result of our risk management, Earn users had 282 million less exposure to Genesis when Genesis halted redemptions on November 16th. So this was three months in advance, and they said it was not Gemini corporate funds, and it was not the personal funds of our founders, Cameron and Tyler, on their investment firm, Winklevoss Cap. So I guess that the, the question that this raises um, is, A, I think it's clear you have to decide who to believe, but there, there's the one side which says they took money out, they knew what was going to happen, they did this to enrich themselves and to protect themselves. I think that's very polar, probably not the whole story. The other one is that they did this to protect users. And then if they did it to protect users, the inevitable question becomes the same. Did they do this knowing that there was a hole in Genesis's balance sheet and that there were going to be issues coming? And if so, then why didn't they take it all out? Or B, was this literally just a technical move that they made, you know, based on a certain percentage of what it was? And I know that uh, we kind of uh, tweeted about this and Mike, Mike Alfred and, and Andrew actually said, you know, we know who the good guys and the bad guys are in this. And Mike, you sort of disagreed. So I want to give the floor to, to the two of you. Mike, perhaps you were the first one who sent me this story. Tell me why you think that this isn't a nothing burger. Um, it's definitely not a nothing burger and more will come out about this. I've got two or three pieces of information that haven't really been uh, reported yet because some of it's private. But uh, the first thing to keep in mind is that if those were really user funds, then they would be included in the bankruptcy process. And they have not been pushed forward by Gemini at all to compensate uh, earned users, which to me is a huge smoking gun because if they were really user funds, Gemini should have come out immediately upon learning that Genesis was insolvent and said, look, we did this good thing for you users. You're going to get $282 million immediately. Of course, they didn't do that. Uh, the other thing to keep keep in mind here is that for sure they knew uh, because there's there's tons of notes. They knew about the the uh, promissory note because the promissory note already existed when they made that withdrawal. So the the withdrawal only makes sense in the context of knowing that there's a, a hole in the balance sheet that has been filled by this promissory note. You can believe that's real or not. That was the argument, by the way, between DCG between Barry and. The Winklevoss brothers was, is that real? Like, or is DCG really going to be good for that? And of course, they decided there's enough risk there that they wanted to withdraw capital. So, so you can argue all you want about whether that's uh, earned user money, whether it's, whether it's uh, personal money, whatever, but they did not push it forward in the bankruptcy process um, to, to compensate users. Um, they still haven't said that, hey, that 280 is going to go back to users. Um, and so I think it's pretty clear something else is, is going on here. Now, the, the other piece of information that I'll share here, but, but is not public, is that in the actual DCG CRM system, like inside of the company, there are contemporaneous notes related to that transaction that, that were put in before. And obviously, you, know, you can pull them out now, but like you can't edit them. So they were there before. And those notes were very clear that, that those funds were some combination of treasury funds and personal funds of the Winklevoss brothers. So they can come out now and say whatever they want about what happened there. Um, but the notes at the time between the people that were involved in that transaction say that they were, in fact, uh, not user funds. So, again, I, I don't know enough to, to say for sure. Like, I, I think this is a very contentious issue. 
I think these guys are involved in litigation. I'm not going to get involved in their, their litigation. But I think this idea that you can put out a story, um, you know, saying that uh, these guys are terrible uh, means that they're terrible, obviously, is, is not correct. But also that you can respond by simply saying, oh, those are user funds without any other previous uh, indication that the, they were actually user funds. I'm pretty confident then, they're not. But Mike, my, my question, but for them to lie public, because if, if they're not user funds, they'll just go quiet and ignore the story or they'll put something very broad, like, hey, this is misinformation and that's it. But when you answer with so much specifics and such detail, um, especially with this ongoing litigation, it'd be surprising or even foolish for them to do so if they're actually trying to hide something. That is either keep it broad or, or keep it keep it kind of vague, vague-ish, similar I, to like how Pfizer responds to that leaked video. It's like very vague, broad, refutes it, but doesn't refute it. To, to be fair, Pfizer is a much bigger company than Gemini. They have much better uh, crisis PR people. I think crisis PR at Gemini is mostly done by the Winklevoss brothers. I don't think they have the same resourcing. I don't think they have the same skill set in this area. They went on the offensive because they thought that was the right strategy. They started writing these love letters to Barry. Barry, you're a bad person. You screwed the users. It's all your fault type of thing. And I, I viewed that as subterfuge. Like in all of these types of situations, when somebody behaves like that, there's something they're hiding and they're hoping to go on the offensive. Again, I'm not going to take one side over the other because I think they both made mistakes here. But again, like the key issue here is that they withdrew $282 million and they never, they never disclosed or offered that as potential compensation for their users that's end of story like it doesn't that's matter that's very weird this one this is the, this, this particular point is odd um yeah well, what do you think uh, andrew scott what do you guys think I, i'd like to go to andrew because i know he had an opinion on this and has been very much on top of certainly the gem i mean certainly the dcg side of this for a very long time Actually, Andrew, Andrew, I remember the day, I don't know if you can hear me, but just for anyone listening, Andrew is the person, probably the first person during the FTX spaces, I got so much hate because of Andrew and he turned out to be right. He came in our space. Remember that first space, Andrew, when he came in, got a lot of traction, um, had a few journalists reach out when he started talking about the the, the, the hole that DCG had and they're going to be next before anyone even mentioned DCG. And within hours, DCG puts out a public statement and then Bloomberg comes out with a piece maybe six hours, 12 hours later. Do you remember that day? Yeah, uh, I, I do. And this and this particular issue is, is very... Um, very simple for me. One, um, I appreciate Mike's comments and, and thoughts and don't have any idea what he's talking about when he, when he's talking about, I've, I've got secret documents that I'm not going to disclose. And I, I, uh, I, I don't want to share. Um, Mike always has the documents. He yeah, always has the documents. Right. So, um, it's interesting that, um, there's been one party here that has been uh, clear uh, about where they're headed, has been clear about the other side, and has been willing to stake uh, their entire reputation, their entire company, uh, have, have taken personal commitments in terms of litigation um, against the people that are on the other side. Um, there's one side here that still has a functioning company a company that is not only still functioning uh, here in the United States, but also is growing internationally. There's another side of this ledger um, that has effectively shut down most of their companies. Um, and most of their companies are worth nearly zero and they can't get a bid on anything. So, um, And you're afraid, just quickly for the audience, the, sec the, the latter one is DCG and the former is Gemini. 
yeah. So, so there's been obfuscation and avoidance and um, delays uh, on every front by DCG and Barry. Uh, we knew this was going to happen because Barry's an old school bankruptcy lawyer. That's how he cut his teeth. Uh, so Barry's hunkered down. This New York Post story is literally two paragraphs. There is no documentation. There is no backstory. There is no smoke. There's, there's nothing other than a headline and two paragraphs. That's it. So, um, listen, bottom line with all this stuff, I know how it's going to effectively end because I have seen all the fraudulent documents. Um, I have seen all the fraud. I have talked to people that worked at Genesis. I have talked to people that have and still worked at DCG and know what the end game is. Um, I, I'll say it again, as I said in my tweet, we know who the good guys are. And we know who the bad guy is. It's very, very, very simple. Barry plays a very specific game. That game is uh, to protect uh, the fees associated with Grayscale that go to his pocket. Um, and to protect his own pockets, everybody else be damned. And uh, that's the reason why there's one party here that's taken effective action as it relates to the courts. And there's another party here that has taken defensive action, delay, 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 delay. It's, it, this isn't a – it's really not even an argument. It's, it's very, very simple. Well, hold on a second. There isn't – there isn't – it's actually not just black and white. I mean – the, the key point here is that Everything, if literally Gemini, if, if, hold, hold on, hold on, Andrew, just let me make, let me just make this one point. No, everything that I just said is literally true. All those actions taken by both parties is literally true. Both philosophically, both, both, both sides made, both sides made mistakes, Andrew, both, both sides made severe mistakes. And the only point that actually matters on this what issue is, what is that is if Gemini mistake? is not, Hold on, hold on. Let me, Andrew, let mistake? me make the point. Let me, make the let, point. let me make the point here. The, the mistake that Gemini made very, very clearly is they believed, they believed when Barry lied to them about the state of Genesis and their balance sheets. Period. That's true. That, that may be true. But that's not what we're, that's not what we're talking about. That's a red herring. That's no, a red no, herring. No, it's not a red herring. What we're talking no, about. No, it's no, not. No, Andrew, we're talking about the 282 no, million. Hold on, hold on. 200. As it relates Andrew, you're talking two, over me. You're not letting relates, me make a single point. As it point. relates to the 280 million, if they made that decision and that choice, they were relying on the realities of what is being told to them by Genesis and DCG which were lies and fraud which is and why they, they pulled the money you literally made you're literally making the case Andrew. And they pulled the 282 because they were concerned about the balance sheet now if that was really earned customer funds which is what they're representing in their tweet today it should be in an escrow account and it should have been mentioned as part of what was going to be sent back to users tell me why if that's really true that there's been no mention of those 282 so, until today. So, so your, your point is, your thought here is, that Gemini just put out a 22-paragraph tweet that lies to the public. Is that what you're saying here? No, I'm saying that if, if that's really user yes funding, no. I, I'm asking yes, a simple yes question. Yes or no? 
Yes or no? No, no, you, you yes or no. I'm asking you a simple question. Should no, they have I, put that I, in an escrow account? I absolutely think it's in Treasury. I absolutely think it will go to Gemini Earn users. And I absolutely think... Okay, good, good. Couple, let's see, let's couple, see proof of that. The that moment couple, I see an escrow account, that Andrew, couple, that the moment couple, I see an escrow account with that 282, I'll change my opinion. Well, there, there's your red herring. They've obviously you, obfuscated do the you proof. Think, do you think Gemini is going to send Mike Alfred, the runner stock guy, a balance sheet and proof of funds in the treasury. Think they're going to do that? Uh, that's not what I'm saying. This is a bankruptcy process that's ongoing. All they have to do is circle those funds, put them in an escrow account, and then the story's over. But they haven't done that. So why? So I, I'm just asking so, a question. So, I actually, I don't want Jim to be. Hold on, Andrew. I don't want Jim and I to fail because because I have investments in a bunch of companies that have. Got money at Gemini, right? Nobody wants Gemini to fail, but Gemini did not behave as above board as you're saying. You're making this into a black or white world because it serves your purposes. So your narrative of these guys are evil and these guys are good. Neither of these guys, neither of these guys did everything right. They both fucked up in different ways. And if you don't see that, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't help you. And by the way, I'm not just the runner stock guy any different than you're just the guy who talks to all these people about what's happening in crypto. I'm not asking for you. That's not all you are. You're also like the quantitative trading hedge fund guy, right? You also family man, whatever else. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not asking for your help, Mike. I'm literally giving you. I'm not asking for your help either, buddy. We're not even on the separate side. My name isn't buddy, Mike. Okay. So, I'm giving you hey, buddy, the truth you know of the situation. Keep, keep talking. I'm giving you the truth of the situation. Barry continues to play delay, delay, delay defense. Let me give two paragraphs to the New York Post. Let me pay PR to be in the Wall Street Journal. Let me pay PR again to be in different business journals about, you know what, we tried really hard. And because of FTX, things really went sideways on us, right? That, that's, what he, that's his narrative until he went underneath a bunker and is doing everything he can to keep all of his money in his pocket and not give it to anybody else, right? With under the bankruptcy laws and how that, all that stuff works, he's perfectly within his rights to do. Morally, that's a different issue, right? But the plane... And the Winklevoss brothers did the, the exact plane, same thing. You know, the the exact same Gemini thing. Has a, Gemini has you, a you haven't bankruptcy. proven has anything. Gemini, you haven't Gemini proven a damn thing. You just keep talking. Has Gemini declare bankruptcy. Gemini Earn is dead, and that's the product we're Gemini talking about. You keep bringing out these red herrings. Bankruptcy. No they lost nine hundred million dollars. No, apparently, they, they have two hundred eighty-two million in their spent, personal treasury. And they have. <laughs> all right, guys, listen, hey, guys, yeah, yeah. hey, guys, real, real, one second. Okay, this isn't. I, I actually thoroughly enjoy that. It's a great debate, but it, now we're going on to the not productive part of it. <laughs> um, I think we know where everybody. I think we know where everybody stands. Everybody stands on the debate. And I actually think that you both both make a very valid point. Yeah, I think I think uh, because I think I think they they both agree. They're both uh, critical of of Gemini. I think. Oh, sorry, of DCG. Right. The the only right. the only the only disagreement is Gemini, and I think we just don't have the information yet. I'm leaning more on Andrew's side based on what we've seen. I don't know about Travis jumping in. Maybe get Travis thoughts quickly as well. See what Travis. I, I, I just had one question for the people that are paying. I mean, I think we're all paying pretty close attention to this. But like my question, maybe for Andrew and for Mike and anybody else that has a view, is like, does anybody feel strongly that Barry and DCG are going to get charged like with criminal, like criminal fraud type of stuff? Yes, Andrew does. <laughs> yes, you do, huh? Yes, I, I, I believe that they will. They're still under investigation by the Eastern District of New York. Like that hasn't gone away. That's the DOJ. That's not the SEC, right? Here again is a yeah. bifurcation of the two parties. 
The SEC has taken a look at Gemini and their earn program. We haven't heard a word about it since it was announced six, seven months ago. The SEC and the DOJ are taking a good look at what's going on at, at DCG and Genesis and interparty loans and fraud and lies. And we have heard about it in the last few months. Again, very different, right? Those are those are significant well, I think it, differences, right? The fact that you got hey, that H, many different hey, Travis, letter uh, agencies SCs, that are that are the looking SEC, underneath the, the hood. Sued both. The SEC sued both before right, you right. Could go on to the next point. I mean, the SEC sued both at the same time related to Iron. So I think that fact should be on the record. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I, what I was just going to say is, it seems like we are going to get an answer to this. This isn't going to be like some that's right. You know, you know, unsolved mystery that we're never going to know for sure. Like it's kind of like Binance. Like it's like we're going to figure out one way or the other yep. kind of what's going on there. So that that's good. Yeah, really quickly before we, uh, Mario, before you move on to the to the rest of the news, I can only say anecdotally, and I, I you know, I don't like to like uh, speak in conjecture, but we've been hearing uh, these things on this show and before about DCG for for a very long time. It is certainly, I think, one of those where there's smoke, there's likely some sort of fire situations. I can tell you that when I was in uh, Dubai last February. And I've told this story many times. I crashed a meeting with the Three Arrows Capital guys. And Kyle was very, very, very adamant that Barry and DCG were somewhat the ones who created this entire CFI yield structure and were sort of the masterminds behind all of it. He made some very sort of clear and concise points about the interrelationship between Grayscale and Genesis and and all of the different companies at DCG and the way that they were lending and borrowing from one another. And I, it, it does feel like, I can't say whether it was illegal or very, you know, or immoral or, or what it was, but it does feel like DCG was uh, sort of in one way or another manipulating this market in a certain way and, and probably are the bad guys. Whether that's illegal or not, I have no idea. But I do think uh, to your very long-winded answer to your question, Travis, we're going to see something. Well, I think I think the reason why the guys from Three Arrows Capital said that is because they own the GBTC, they own the GBTC trust, and, and have loans they, from Genesis, <laughs> and they, yeah, and and they were investing into capitalize on the premium, uh, uh, investing into to capitalize on the premium, and when the premium became a discount, that's when the whole thing turned patient. So. Yeah, yeah but was, it's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty rich to cite Suzu and Kyle when they're literally like the biggest borrower of Genesis. They're the reason why Genesis went down. Three Arrows is the biggest. No, 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 no. They're not the reason. Yes, why. they were. Yes, not. they were. No, I, ta- I talked to them at the time. They, they literally borrowed billions of dollars from from Genesis, they're and they're the, the primary reason that the Genesis reason. went the down. The reason is the reason is the unsecured the lenders who who gave them unsecured loans. Those were the idiots. If I borrow money for a house and the bank gives me ten times the value of the money to the house, and then and and uh, and then and then the, the, there's a housing crisis and I can't repay back the house, the idiot, me or the bank? The bank's the idiot. Yeah, this I, was mean, I mean, hold on. I mean, the point I, I is, the point is, they collapse because there's there's no good borrowers in crypto, and Genesis gave out billions of dollars of loans to basically they stupid borrowers. They Period. collapsed because they they collapsed because they got uncollateralized loans because. Because they, because people, because people took risks without without proper risk strategies, they gave them uncollateralized or semi-collateralized loans. And when the trade went against them, that's when everyone, when the tide went out, and you could see who was so naked. 
but they again, got, I'm saying got, the reason they got, on, they got uncollateralized loans from Bear, one of Barry's companies to make a play on the GBT trade, which was another of Barry's companies. Guys, this isn't hard. I don't know what the deal is with that's what I was saying. Correct. That's correct. And Barry, whatever. I don't know what's going on there, but this is again. This is not. It's not rocket science. Um, Really isn't. Yeah, I mean the whole industry is complicit though because everybody was taking loans and everybody was trying to make money using Big Barry's bank. Right. So like this idea that we're all going to blame Barry after it blows up, like to me is short sighted. But again, yeah, it, it doesn't like really said, matter to me either way. I, it could very well be that he was just the bigger player at the center of it and there was no impropriety and it all just went down like a house of cards, which I, which I think we saw. But it was just, you know, Travis uh, asking the question as to whether there was a chance. I think there's obviously a chance if there are already investigations. Yeah, Dude, I, I Barry, mean, I, I, if Barry, I just wanted to just very fucked up that bad that he committed fraud. That he's gonna, that would just be incredible. But I would certainly wouldn't. Uh, <laughs> After everything we've seen the last eighteen that. months, yeah, you would, you would never, you would never say it would never happen. But just like the bankruptcy guy, the super tradfi guy, the structuring expert, like that would just be incredible. But it could happen. Yeah, you know, I, I must say, I'm, I'd be very surprised if if the Vinko Vi, Vinko Voss brothers, committed any kind of fraud. Uh, like I've had dealings Agreed. with them, I agree, and I know people that that have had dealings with them, and these guys operate a clean by the rules. You know, like I've, I'm, I'm not saying that I've seen people try and I've seen people try and get them to bend one or two rules, and I'm not going to mention the context because the context is actually quite close. Um, but I can tell you that these guys work. 100% by the book and they have they are they they operate very very close uh, legal counsels. I'd be very 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 surprised if such high profile people uh, with so much at stake uh, did something like that. Number those one. are famous and, and, those and, are famous last words in the space though. Uh, no, nah, come on. Mike. <laughs> no, but a lot of a lot of people thought that the BlockFi founders were wonderful people. And nobody's no, ever going to get no, screwed. A lot of people, no, a lot of people no, like no, no, Alex no, no, Mashinsky. No, no. I never did, but a lot of people like Alex Mashinsky. Sam is the best example. Sorry, do we think there's yeah, fraud I'll, I'll, I'll simply say this. Do I've gotten think there's fraud? at least six do different think DMs fraud from BlockFi? huge Genesis creditors who, by the way, um, most of which are portfolio company founders of uh, that DCG and Barry bought out and then ended up, you know, lending handing their money to genesis for it then to get lent out yada 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 and um i mean bottom line is 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 i'll say it again barry's the guy here pure and simple and in fact i just got a dm um from somebody that knows uh folks at the doj that were working on the dcg cases or late last week so it'll all come out it'll all be clear um there's one very, very clear fraud um, and guy that, that that wants to stay in the shadows for as long as he possibly can. Um, and all, all the connective tissue uh, is not hard to see unless you don't want to see it. And uh, so yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. And, uh, and just on, on my, my last two cents on the, on the piece today by the New York Post, funny enough, we also have the Binance hit piece that we didn't talk about from a couple of days ago. Just a very... It's, it's the, the way that it's written. It just it lacks any detail. I think some one of the speakers mentioned, I think it was you, Andrew. It lacks any detail, just a couple of paragraphs. So I don't think, you know, it doesn't mean it's not true, but it definitely does not, 
you know, at least in my eyes, does not does not bring any concern. And then Gemini's quick response and detailed response is the opposite of what a guilty party would do. And it kind of goes back to their response Sorry, to the Mario, whole drama with Barry. Said, you just said Binance. You meant Gemini, right? Gemini. So there was another hit piece by Wall Street Journal on on uh, Binance earlier oh, the week. I we see, didn't talk I about. See, yeah, so I'm just talking there's two this week, but then referring to the Gemini one, Gemini's response, not only the Winklevoss twins' response earlier to Barry, they were the one messaging me. I even I think they even tweeted. Uh, I tweeted, they retweeted, or vice versa, a while ago to do a space where we invite Barry Silbert uh, and the Winklevoss twins. Usually that level of transparency is not what a guilty party would do if they're hiding anything. They do the exact opposite. No, there's always exceptions. So we don't know for sure and time will tell, but it's based on what we've seen so far. I tend to agree more with, uh, with Scott and Ran on, on this one. But uh, you know, then again, hopefully no one clips this in six months and end up being very wrong. But, uh, but that's how it looks like from the outside. I'm just going to clip, clip you saying that you agree with Scott and Ran and just loop that and use it. <laughs> so it doesn't, we don't need context. Let's go to the, the there's other pieces of news that I think <clears throat> more important for the market than this, Scott, waiting for your permission to go through them. And then you tell me, you guys can tell me like what your thoughts are on each piece of the, each uh, uh, piece of news that I'll read yeah. and yeah, how impactful or, or whether it's a nothing burger. Because I think this, this whole DCG, the, the whole DCG in Gemini thing was a big story a year ago. Even Binance, like what's much bigger story a year ago. Now it just matters a lot less. Does anyone disagree? Like, is there anything that could come out of this that could have massive impact on the on the markets? Because I think most things have already been priced in, and we've kind of moved on. I think I think it can only be good things. I think the only things that can come out. I think people are factored in the worst, and I think anything that happens that's not the worst is 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 going to be positive. I hope so. Um. So we've got the um. One report by the uh, Federal Reserve Bank of Boston. I think that was in your show as well, Ryan. Um, and, and they drew parallels between stable coins and traditional money market funds. And they were suggesting that these coins could tr- transmit, I'll read out exactly what it said, transmit instability to the wider financial system akin to money market stresses during previous uh, crises. That's the Federal Reserve of Boston and New York coming to that conclusion. And it kind of goes to the stories like how, um, I'll read another one, identified a discrete break the buck threshold for stable coins at around 0.99. And that below this price, redemptions, accelerate rapidly as investors panic that the dollar peg will be lost. And they, they mirror, they're comparing this to the tipping points in money market fund runs. Um, so looking at that concern, is there any validity to it? And, and I think they're talking here about stable coins in general, not algorithmic stable coins, and whether that's linked to the whole, um, the, the conspiracy around, um, uh, you know, the, the government's trying to kill crypto uh, to bring, uh, to, to kind of bring money into CBDCs. Not sure whether you guys consider this a nothing burger. I put it as one of the, the main pieces of news for today. I think it's from yesterday. Did you cover this in your show as well, Ryan? No, I, I mean, I, we hear these, these these articles all the time. That's not something that we covered. And they've got another one here. We've got the U.S. Treasury goes after um, – oh, there's another point here. So the, that's not a big piece of news, but kind of goes the opposite of what the authorities have been saying about crypto. So the U.S. Treasury went after Ethereum wallets used by the Sinawala cartel for fentanyl trafficking. So that's the Department of Treasury, which kind of goes the opposite of um, the fears that these lawmakers have kept talking about when it comes to crypto. Well, here that shows transparency and, and crypto not being the best uh, way to transfer funds when it comes to um, uh, criminal activity. So that's another piece of news. 
And then the biggest one that I've got is Bitcoin gaining legal recognition in Shanghai despite China's. So we've got a ban in China when it comes to crypto. Obviously, Hong Kong is a lot more receptive, being looked at as a, as a sandbox. But Bitcoin, so they've got a court here, the Shanghai Number Two Intermediate People's Court, and they recognize Bitcoin um, as a unique digital currency. So the argument that made that despite the national crypto ban, um, the, the law could protect crypto holders in theft or breach cases. Not sure if we have any care lawyers on stay. We don't have any lawyers, but if anyone can give more clarity on how important this is, whether it could be set, it could set precedent. But it supports this perspective. A Shanghai court recognized Bitcoin as a virtual property. Um, so strengthening the legal rights for cryptocurrency holders in China. So it goes back to the narrative where in the West, we're seeing a crackdown. In the East, the crackdown happened earlier, at least when it comes to China. But now we're seeing them shift their approach. Um, so my question to the panel, and anyone could take this, is that uh, seeing what's happening in China, could we see them in what happened in Hong Kong as well? Could we see China opening up for crypto and how impactful would that be for the ecosystem? I see Patrick, you haven't spoken much. Tom, you're on stage as well. And Zach, we'd love to get your thoughts on this. Zach, Patrick? Yeah, yeah. So it looks like uh, Shanghai is really pushing to become one of the crypto hubs of the world. And this is absolutely massive, but I have a hard time trusting, you know, what we get out of that region. Uh, and, and they've been flip-flopping back and forth over there in China for a long time. Just to speak on the broader conversation before I hopped on here, um, this is the crypto cannibalization that's taking place that we need to get through. You know, we can debate who committed fraud, whose DeFi program is sustainable. And right now we're seeing, uh, like Rand said, the tide's gone out. Now we're seeing who's swimming naked. Um, as far as where we're at, um, big victories uh, with Shanghai. Sorry, I got a phone call. Exactly there. Boston. Sorry, I got a phone call. Go ahead, um, and then in the United States, we're starting to get some big losses handed to the SEC as well. Uh, the first qu question topic that you guys were discussing was the, the securities. And if you look at the Howey analysis for the decades of precedent and how it's been applied in the courts, never is the underlying asset uh, the security, it's the investment contract, how it's packaged up. And that's the historical ruling that we just got on XRP, the digital asset itself, in and of itself not being a security, but... Sorry. I think you keep going again, man. Sorry. The yeah, yeah. You keep going again. I, I apologize. Let me yeah. put on do not disturb. Oh, good. I'll, yeah, I'll let you put the do not disturb. And I'll, I'll mention another two pieces of news as well. So we've got leaked documents. That for me, that's probably much bigger than the others because it, it impacts at least our business at IBC. So there's leaked documents that reveal Microsoft's plan to bring crypto wallets to Xbox. So we talked about gaming being massive in Singapore. Uh, Rand, Scott, we've had many discussions about this. Two, th two narratives that were really big in Singapore. One of them is the tokenization of real-world assets. The other one is gaming, gaming, gaming. We've had Yatsu on here as well. So now Microsoft has plans to bring crypto wallets to Xbox based on leaked documents and goes to the other piece of story that I put it in the same bracket. Um, I see someone unmuted. Travis, I'll give you the mic, but kind of goes to the pudgy penguins having to deal with Walmart and kind of bridging that physical and virtual world. Uh, Travis, Patrick? Yeah, I was just going to say that the Xbox leak, wasn't that from like spring of 2022? Uh, that one just came out. Let me see. Maybe it's a separate. No, leak. but but the but the doc, the documents that were leaked were from spring of twenty. It is. Yeah, yeah. You're right. I'm just going to yeah, the article like, now. You know, <laughs> you know, we've had about 19 own goals since then. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if, like a lot of other traditional folks, 
you know, they put their crypto foray plans on hold for now because of how how badly we've managed to fuck this thing up. True. That's a good point. Patrick? Yeah, so I wanted to comment on the Xbox, Xbox and Pudgy Penguins things. I think the common thread running through these as well as real-world assets and a lot of other news recently is, is really the quest to By the way, sorry, quick, uh, quick, sorry, uh, before we move on to the to the Pudgy Penguins. So yeah. Phil Spencer from Xbox, uh, uh, Travis, he just responded uh, um, eight days ago on this. So we've seen the conversation around old emails and documents. It is hard to see how teams work shared in this way because so much has changed. So that goes to your point. And there's so much to be excited about right now and in the future. We'll share the real plans when we are ready. So they've just, I don't know what, why they've just responded about it in um, uh, eight days ago, um, whether that news has resurfaced. But it, it, they do say exactly what you've mentioned, Travis, is that because so much has changed since those email leaks. But go ahead, Patrick, about the Pudgy Penguins news, which uh, is more recent. Yeah, so, so I guess first thing relates to both Pudgy Penguins and Xbox. I think that that uh, this is more evidence that the next bull run will be the one where real businesses are actually built on chain, uh, and it's not just speculation and future use cases. Uh, which is which is why I think that the next one will be crypto's sort of two thousand one moment. Um, and that but, goes to the hold on. That goes hold on. That's a, that's a bit of a, a, a kind of an fu, a very nice, respectful fu. Um, kind of a win for me in my debate with Ran, and I'm not sure probably Ran if you agree or disagree that we're seeing we're talking about NFTs not having utility. Well, we've got now an NFT collection doing physical toys that go on Walmart, and then the royalties go to the NFT holders, and then those NFTs connect those toys connect to actual NFTs that have utilities in a virtual world, and you actually own them, so you've got the ability to move them from one world to another and not. Lose I'm not them. saying I'm not saying it is or it isn't going to work. All I am going to say is that less than 0,01% of um, uh, fluffy toys in, uh, in supermarkets <laughs> um, actually do really, really, really well. And, you know, I think this is a great move. Don't get me wrong. I really think this is a great move by Pudgy Penguins. And I think we've got to experiment with these things. But again, I'm highlighting that the, possib- that the probabilities of success of these things, and this is for someone, this is what I used to do for a living. I used to try and, 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 and create brand activations out of, um, out of, you know, like trying try to create brand activations, doing stuff like this. And I'm thinking that less than 1% of these things actually land up working. Now, I really hope that Pudgy Penguins does work because Fred owns some Pudgy Penguins in the office. But again, would I be buying a, a well, I may buy a Pudgy Penguin because they don't cost as much as punks or apes. Um, you know, I've given an opinion on people that are willing to pay these kind of prices for, for, for punks. But Wait, you know, if you... You would buy one? I'm a penguin? I thought a pudgy yeah. penguin. I think I, I don't know. I don't know what the floor price. Right I don't know what the floor price is, but I don't know I what think the floor it was price. Like four ETH when someone said the other day, but it's nah, something too much, like that. Too I much, can look. Too much. Too much. I'll pay like fifty dollars. I'll pay like fifty dollars, hundred dollars. That's like that's number. Yeah, it's eight thousand dollars right now. So yeah, obviously you would not. No, 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 no. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. Yeah. I mean, fluffy toys. Fluffy toys and that. Fluffy toys and that. You know. I mean, great idea. I think when it comes to unless they can come up with some. Killer, killer, killer movie, which is produced by, by the likes of a Disney or, or something like that. Um, you know, basically, I think what's going to happen is either these pudgy penguins are going to be on sale next season in Walmart. You're going to be able to buy them for 99 cents, like below cost. Just, just take them. Or you're going to be buying like two bottles of water and you're going to get a free soft toy at the, at the pay points. They're going to say, look, just please just buy a bottle of water and you can have a free pudgy penguin because they're taking up space in my happy thing. meal. Toy happy, happy I will, 100%. And again, I'm not, I'm not trying to be negative because I think that this is the kind of 
experimentation that we actually need. But, um, but, but uh, I, again, I don't think that I would be investing or the, 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 the floor price should go up because they've now managed to get a listing in Walmart. No, but, it's, it's short, but that's, yeah, Tom and Patrick, but I, I just want to add one more thing. Is this opening up? So the, the actual news itself is not that major. Launching fluffy toys in Walmart, I agree with Ryan. I don't own any pudgy penguins. I won't be buying them because of this news. But at least it shows... But you own a the, punk. The, a, but you own a yeah, punk. the punk has a completely different selling point. It's being the first. It's a collectible. This is a utility aspect. I don't care about utility for punks. It's more of a collectible. It's more of a flex. It's the same thing as you owning a Ferrari type thing, but the opportunity to go up in value because there's only 10,000 of them. So it has collectible value as well. Yeah. So the, 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 But just to go back to, to the thing, it, why I think this is good news is that it's just showing the – and you remember, we're doing this in a bear market, and Walmart is announcing this. Again, it's just a fluffy toy collection and something major, but it's just showing what other collections could do. It's just opening up the possibilities on what, what type of utilities we could see in the future. But sorry, I took the mic from someone else. Yeah, I think you hit on it perfectly, right? NFTs are, at the end of the day, just a flex. And there's only so many NFTs that actually create that flex. It's punks, maybe it's apes. It's probably not going to be pudgy penguins. So all these other collections are kind of grasping at straws as they're windling down their uh, their treasuries, right? They're basically saying, like, how do we gain revenue? So we start selling toys, like, you know, Lazy Lions and other things are selling, like, comic books and trying to create, like, metaverse worlds. And they're basically just doing anything to stay afloat right now. So you're going to have a washout of all of these projects, and you're going to have just, like, two or three left. So would I buy a punk? Or, uh, I, don't know who, I, don't know, I don't know who the speaker is. I don't know who the speaker is because I'm monitoring my phone. But whoever it is, you should be invited here more often to talk sense Tom, into the, Tom, listen, the host. Tom is my go-to guy for literally all research. And the second half of our topic today, pre-recession denial phase, was based on Tom's tweet. And he was the guy doing it all at Masari. So, yes, you should always have him on speed. So, yeah, just just Tom, Tom, uh, I would like to blacklist you officially. I'm joking. Uh, I, I disagree with you, Tom. <laughs> but I, I, I agree and disagree. I think the point you're making, uh, grasping at straws, most of them will fail true. The collectibles will, you know, collectibles much easier use case when you're first. That's it. You don't need to do much. Punks are not doing much. Um, but then again, I think these experimentations kind of show what could happen later on when more adoption kicks in. Like if those pudgy penguins, like imagine those pudgy penguins have access to games that have thousands or, or millions of players. And then if you buy a toy, you get access to that game. And then that as an NFT, and that NFT could move from one game to another. You get access to events, etc. You've just kind of bridged two separate worlds, a virtual and a digital world, with the concept of owning an asset online. Again, the concept of bridging virtual and digital world already exists. It's nothing too new. But uh, bridging a, a, a physical asset, something you own, when you buy a Penji Penguin in the physical world, it's yours. No one could take it from you. But now the same thing applies in a virtual world. When you own the, the virtual representation of that silly penguin, no one can take that from you as well. I think that bridge is what makes it really exciting. Do you disagree, Tom? No, I generally agree there. But I think, you know, for me as someone who likes to think of these things as potential investments, right, it would need to be tied back to some sort of revenue. And then we get back into like the securities territory here. So I think what Pudgy Penguins is doing is, is really cool. It's interesting, but they're essentially trying to build like a media brand around these these assets, right? And I see Lucas in the chat, so I'd, I'd love to have him up here and see what he thinks. But it's a media brand and there only can be so many media brands in the space. So there's probably like five or 10 projects that are going to be fantastic, but then there's going to be thousands that are just going to be, end up being worthless. Yeah. I brought up Luca. Luca uh, is the, not the founder. He, I think he acquired Pudgy Penguins from someone else um, in the bull market. So while Luca's connecting, oh, he's connecting. Uh, Luca, did I, did we misrepresent the news? Is it bigger than we're making it out to be? 
Um, or is just a bunch of fluffy toys at Walmart? It's a nice experiment, but nothing too major. Yeah, I, I hopped on about a minute in, so I haven't. Uh, I don't have too much context, but I saw something. Uh, somebody tweeted at me, which kind of got me up on stage, uh, saying that somebody said that Walmart. Essentially, it's a, yeah. So, Luca, the question is, um, what's the model like, and is that really that big of news? Just a bunch of fluffy toys at Walmart. For me, I, I, I see it as like a great experiment that could op open up the opportunities and kind of bridging the the owning something in the physical world and, and it, owning something in the virtual world. Now you're connecting the two, um, which is something that most projects haven't done. And it's like more, it's opening up the doors for more things, but the numbers are not that major, at least not yet. Um, but maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, I think from my perspective, uh, I think it's a huge step forward for the industry. And I think if people don't realize that, I say they would, they would lack vision. I think at the end of the day, you have to understand what crypto is today and what blockchain tech is today and what this industry is today, which is it's a bro culture that looks inwards and not outwards. And the biggest problem that this industry has is a branding and a marketing problem. And so somebody has to take a leap of faith and somebody has to make the difference. Instead of having an intimidating and taboo industry, which this industry is today, somebody has to go and try to change the narrative. And I think this is a huge step in that direction. A fool would look at it and say, these are plushies on a shelf of Walmart, and they wouldn't see the significance behind it. But I think if you really care about this industry moving forward, which ultimately I believe to reach escape velocity, it has to become a consumer-facing industry, then you see that this is the first barrier breaking that we've had in a very long time that pushes this in this direction. And so it, it's on its face, you can say these are plushies on the toys on, on, on the shelf of Walmart. In, in, in my breath, I would say these are vehicles to onboarding people into our industry in a familiar and non-intimidating way. I would say that this is the story of what Web3 is about and what crypto is ultimately about from a community that went you know, pretty much rugged to us standing up and now you know, leading the industry in a way that just hasn't been done before to saying, hey, we're not just going to make toys. We're going to take NFTs that holders own and turn them into characters and then give them a royalty in perpetuity. Like, there's a difference mm. there that I think just toys on a shelf. And so from my perspective, so, obviously, I'm passionate about it, but uh, I think it's bigger agree with than you. what people are leading on. Real quick, Luca, I, you just got to agree with follower, you, man. That was great. <laughs> yeah, I must, I must say, I really, I really, really, really agree with you. And I think that the – I think um, – uh, what I think what you're saying is fantastic. I also look forward to to watch the penguin community actually start building their own brands in the real world. So I want to see like you know like you've got sixty odd thousand Twitter followers. How many how many real world followers can you get? Um, you know by creating an identity for your penguin. And I think that's that's something that's going to be pretty interesting to see how we can trans how how, how yeah. um, we had we had this whole we had this whole um, move from mainstream media into citizen journalism. That's why people like Mario have a million followers on Twitter and have become very big voices. I think the same thing is going to happen out of celebrities. I think up until now, Disney's and that they created the celebs, right? So you couldn't be you couldn't be an animated celeb if you weren't if Disney didn't say that you were going to be an animated celeb or one of the other studios didn't say you're going to be an animated celeb. And I think that one thing that NFTs actually do allow is that they allow for the what what Twitter has done for mainstream to, to for citizen journalism, it does for citizen celebrity, if you want to call it that. Like the ability of citizens to create celebrities. So that's the, the, the that's one thing that I look forward to. It's, it's going to be an industry of how people can market themselves in the real world without having a, a studio do it for them.
Yeah, Rand, you hit it right on the head, and I guess I'll give some alpha to the chat, but a huge thesis for ours, and it's not a narrative. We, we're waiting to build some back-end tooling for this, but there's tons of different pudgy penguins. For those of you who are not familiar, we make gifts and content and stickers out of these pudgy penguins, and a lot of holders' penguins have tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of views. I actually believe eventually owning a pudgy penguin NFT will be owning your own individual influencer. We have pitch decks and materials for you to take your penguin, throw them on these decks and these materials so that you can go procure your own licensing deals or your own brand initiatives or your own partnerships with your penguin. It's not really a narrative that we're pounding too hard today, but it is a part of the vision of where we want to go tomorrow. Yeah, I, I love what you're doing, Luca, and I, I love the idea. It, and my argument isn't that your brand or a particular brand is invaluable because that's what you're trying to build. You're trying to build a brand around a particular asset. My argument is that there's only so many of those that can actually exist in the space. And in the future, the number is going to be much larger, but it's challenging to pick out which one of those are actually going to succeed, right? There are other projects just like yours, um, you know, Lazy Lion, Sappy Seals, all the, all the other ones, right? That tried to do something very similar, but you were able to build that brand, build those connections and make sure make, make that profile picture actually have some value. So kudos to you. And I unfortunately sold my pudgy penguin at less than an eighth. So I'm, Maybe I'll get back in for the ride. Just a, just a quick <laughs> just a quick shout out first. I, I want to say two things. Number one is, as you were speaking, Lucas, is an incredible response uh, to the question. So hats off to you. And I think the NFT community needs more people like you. Um, that was a great response. Um, another thing I was like, I was worried while you're responding. Is like, I'm going to go check my phone because Scott was giving us shit for having too many people with PFPs on stage. And he's Scott is like the... The, 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 the king of having a panel of very high profile people and he gives us shit if we bring anyone else that uh, doesn't meet those expectations and then I was going I, I, was, black literally, and white I was all black I was, and white headshot I was walking to the I was walking to the sauna so I wasn't looking at my phone I'm like let me check in the sauna quickly before um, Scott kind of gives me a grilling on why Luca's on stage and I see Scott putting 100% 100 emojis or 100% and then Mike did it as well and then almost everyone else the, I'm not sure if Travis did and then Rand agreed with you so very very good response and kudos to you and lastly is just beauty of Twitter spaces like we're talking about pudgy penguins we're debating it and then the founder or the owner or, or the, the the leader whatever you want to call Luca um, it comes up on stage here's a about it someone tweets and jumps up comes mm. on and starts talking about it you don't see that on any other medium so so it's really cool to see i mean i, I want to go back to where, where i started and i think I, I really think this is a great move by by Pedro penguins and, and I, I said i think this is one of the bravest moves that has been made mario i think you're would you would you would you buy it for more than 50 to 100 dollars that you said earlier or uh, yeah I, mean, I, I, don't know, I, I don't know i don't know i don't know if i'd buy it. i just think in general all of these nft collections are overpriced i'm not talking about pudgy penguins I'm, because I, I don't even know what the total market capitalization of all penguins are and i don't know anything about about specifically this project i just think in general these things are way overhyped and over, overpriced mario you know um that both of us saw a a a brand a real world brand it's gonna bring it up yeah which is linked to an nft brand uh, I'm not going to too many names, but it was on Killer Whales, the show that Mario and I are on. We saw a project, which is a it's a real world product, which is linked to an NFT project. I'm not going to mention which project. I'm, I don't think we're allowed to give it away. But I love the fact that that they bridging into uh, the real world. I think that is the the real adoption. If you can find a consumer product, and I think the Walmart thing is a great consumer product. I think that you know other products can include very very basic products maybe i don't know i don't know i mean something simple like a beverage or i don't know whatever it is um so 
those are the the kind of real world crossovers that may get real world adoption uh, of NFTs and, and and bridging of real world and NFTs. And I think that's that's super yeah. super super exciting. I, I agree, and I think that episode is going to be very relevant to anyone in the NFT ecosystem. I think Rand, I think you accepted. I'm not sure what we're allowed to say, but if you watch Killer Whales, there's one of the show, one of the episodes where me and Rand, you know, fall in love with a brand, and I'll probably want to join you, Rand, in advising them because I love what they did. Um, but also want to, you know, before giving the mic back to Luca, is that any NFT project they're still building right now? Um, hats off to them. Uh, you know, you're in the midst of a of a bear market, and you're still building come and experimenting. Um, at a time when there isn't much money there. Like, I don't know if your floor pumped. Did your floor pump? Usually in the bull market, when you announce news like this, Luca, the floor would just skyrocket. Did that happen with you guys? Because I doubt it did in the current market conditions. And if it didn't, that's like more kudos to you. Yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it's a part of the process at the end of the day. You know, you can't control things that you can't control. Ultimately, the market will do its thing. I think what was the, the best part, I think, about yesterday was just the sentiment around the industry. I think people are starting to become bullish on NFTs again, and that's all we can ask for. You know, Ran, I, 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 I put up my hand because I wanted to ask you a question as just a, a crypto and token guy. Uh, when you look at the tokenization of assets just in totality and you look at, you know, all of the coins that exist and, and I kind of look at NFTs in, in some similar light at the end of the day, you know, tokenized assets, I think, fall under a giant bucket. You know, the entire market cap of Pudgy Penguins is what, $80 million when you multiply the floor price times how many assets there are. If you compare us to every other coin that is worth 80, 100, 150, 200 million dollars, will you really ask brilliant, yourself? Brilliant. Are, are, As I mentioned, I didn't know what your market cap was, but to me, at that kind of market cap, that's something that I would invest in. But when you're talking about, and I, let's talk about Ape. Like, what's the market cap of Ape coin today? Billion dollars plus? Yep. Okay, what's the market cap of all the Apes combined? A couple of billion, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't follow, but it's, it's ridiculous, right? Yep. About probably about two and a half billion total across all their assets, most likely. Okay, can you tell me? Can you tell me what in that ecosystem is worth two and a half billion? I think they have curated and built a cultural significance that I think is not to be underestimated. Now, how you price two and a half billion dollars? Two and a half billion dollars? It depends. It depends who you're asking. I think if you look at the revenue for the last year, probably warrant that. And so it just depends at which light you're looking at it from. Okay. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm going to, we, we all know my view. Yeah. So I, I, uh, I think this is it on the, on the NFT side. And um, Patrick, anything else to add on, on this particular point? Uh, yeah. I just wanted to add quickly. So I actually used to work in Bentonville, managing budgeting for one of Walmart's largest. Worked uh, where? Work with, sorry? Where, where Walmart's headquarters, Bentonville, Arkansas. Oh, okay. Okay. So I managed budgeting and forecasting for one of Walmart's largest suppliers. And I'm not sure people who haven't worked in retail realize quite how big of a deal what Lucas accomplished is. I mean, getting getting a display in 2,000 Walmarts is it's like the gold standard if you're trying to sell any product. Um, can be make or break with products, right? Because people scale up scale up supplying. Um, and then if it doesn't pan out, then they've scaled up for nothing. But I mean, I, I just don't know if people realize quite how huge that is. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to give props to Luca for is I've actually had people, um, actually, especially uh, women have sent me Pudgy Penguins GIFs and they know nothing about crypto. They just think it's a cute GIF. So so it is getting some cultural penetration that I've never seen in another NFT. I, I appreciate you, Patrick and Mario. I hate to do this to you on your stage, but I'll only do it once, and this will be my only time. But everyone's got to go out and sweep that Walmart floor, if you know what I mean. 
what he means for anyone not in the NFT community, go buy, go and buy those plush toys. You got to explain it, Luca. The the uh, the NFT the NFT lingo doesn't work anymore now, not in this market. Um, uh, but yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I'm happy. Walmart before uh, the holiday season and, and stock up for Christmas and Thanksgiving. I think it's a great present for anyone who's interested uh, in potentially getting. Can I buy it? Can I buy it online if I'm not in the US or no? Yes, you can. Walmart.com, baby. Uh, send me through, through the link if you don't mind, Luca. And, and uh, yeah, I'd love to buy one. Is this more supporting the ecosystem? What you guys did? I don't own Pudgy Penguins. Not looking at invest in buying Pudgy Penguins, but would love to support you in any way I can. Thank um, you. But yeah, I think we'll, we'll go to the next story, guys. We've got um, the last story because, uh, you know, this show has gone over time. But the last story is just the ETF news. We've got um, – so lawmakers, we talked about this briefly yesterday. They're pushing the SEC to approve uh, the Bitcoin ETFs. Uh, so members of the House Financial Services Committee wrote a letter to the SEC chair. We read it yesterday. And in that letter, they urged them to approve pending spot Bitcoin ETF applications. That's the number one. Number two, ETFs. So, so Bernstein, two days ago. And they put a probability that most likely or probably ETFs will be approved. So the Bitcoin ETF will be approved early next year. And that was a good argument to one of our speakers. Not sure, maybe it was you, Travis. I can't remember. But one of our speakers yesterday made an argument that it makes it like there's, it's not a bad thing if the ETF approval takes time. Like, why is that a bad thing? It could, could even be a good thing. Because right now the market is not responding too positively to any, any, um, any good news. Um, but later on, as we get closer to the halving, uh, maybe that's a better time for the ETF to be approved. That was a, a debate we had yesterday. And lastly, um, there's an article on uh, Bloomberg and one of our regular speakers, one of our regular analysts when it comes to uh, ETFs, uh, did tweet out. So James Safar did tweet out that it's, quote, looking like the SEC is going to let a bunch of Ethereum futures ETFs go next week. And I think he tweeted again while we're on the space. I think he tweeted again. I have it saved. Um, uh, you know, saying it's going to be likely approved. There it is. Um, yeah. So Eric, Mario, Eric really, also tweeted. Go. Yeah, go ahead, bro. Yeah. No, 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 you finished. I thought you were done. Yeah. I, I was, no, I was Eric, Eric also tweeted, ETH, uh, Ether futures ETFs could be trading as early as Tuesday as the SEC looks to speed things up in order to get it done before the looming shutdown, just like they sped up the delay on spot Bitcoin ETFs. If so, issuers exactly. likely in mad scramble as we speak to update as as we speak to update documents stay tuned yeah, that's right so, so the, yeah, this go, morning, go mario I, I yeah i spoke with matt hogan from bit bitwise and steve mcclurg uh from valkyrie uh both good friends of mine and, and i'm actually uh, one of the first investors in valkyrie and so i ha i have some color here it actually hit the bloomberg terminals this morning that there was a 90 percent chance that next week the valkyrie blended bitcoin ethereum futures etf that's a mouthful, would be approved. Uh, as you know, until it, it, unless it gets denied, it basically just passively gets approved and, as you said, would be listed next week. So this is not a pure Ethereum futures ETF, but this is from Valkyrie, who already has an approved Bitcoin futures ETF, and it would be a blended one, which would be actively managed by rule. They can't go more than 50% Ethereum in it, so it will probably be more heavily weighted Bitcoin, depending on the market, but it will be actively managed. And according to uh, Steve from, from Valkyrie, who I spoke to, he literally, when I got cut off earlier, I didn't have my phone off, he tried to call me, um, is that we saw the Bitcoin futures ETF launched in a peak bull market, obviously, two years ago in December, which really marked the top at that moment. But when we saw that approved, we saw BITO, which was the first mover from ProShares, uh, do about a billion in AUM in the first couple of days. Valkyrie was approved. Three days later, it would be 72 hours later and was the next largest. And they did about 
100 to 200 million. So the first mover advantage, first of all, for one of these approvals is absolutely huge just to be the first name. Um, But now that we're in a bear market, this is a less exciting project product to the market because it is Ethereum based and there's obviously less institutional interest in Ethereum. His estimation was that we would see about 200 to 300 AUM, a million AUM, so about a sixth maybe of what we saw with the Bitcoin ones, which are about 1.3 uh, total in the first uh, month, that we'd see maybe 200 to 300 million, which is still sizable in AUM in the Ethereum blended or Ethereum futures products in general as they start to get approved. Just to give some idea of scale and what it would mean for the market, I think that that's a pretty accurate assessment in the current market. But then why, the market, it, this, why, this why, why does the market not care? Has it already been priced in? I, well, first of all, like I said, this is a Bitcoin Ethereum blended. So we already have Bitcoin futures ETF. It's just a very similar product to what already exists with the Bitcoin futures ETF. And but doesn't the that mean so, that most institutions can, can I ask a dumb question? Doesn't that mean that the 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 likelihood that uh, a Bitcoin futures ETF or Bitcoin sorry a Bitcoin spot BTF is more likely to get approved than the opposite after the grayscale ruling? I, I don't think so. So the, the, the differentiation here is that the futures ETF, an Ethereum futures ETF is extremely similar to a Bitcoin futures ETF, right? So the fact that we already have a pu- approved Bitcoin futures ETFs means that structurally the SEC has already agreed that this is a viable product and a viable product structure. Therefore, they have very little reason to deny this. When you go to the spot ETFs, it's an entirely different product. We still have the market manipulation claims. And of course, we know that uh, it was arbitrary and capricious in the grayscale case, but the SEC can still go ahead and make a case for many reasons to reject a spot ETF. They can't really do that right now with a futures ETF when we already have had them trading for two years. You have to remember, I, I don't want to misquote, but I believe BITO from ProShares was the single most successful futures ETF launch in history. I'm not talking about crypto ETF. Single most successful, the fastest to a billion AUM of any ETF launch in history. And I believe Valkyrie 72 hours later, which only quote unquote did 100 million, was top 12 of all time ETF launches, right? So to just to give you guys some perspective that even though those weren't huge products per se, as ETFs go in all markets, these were very, very successful launches with huge AUM coming in very, very fast. So, uh, you know, I, I think that um, it's still very exciting to get these futures ETFs, but the final boss is clearly spot. A couple, a couple things. The... The E-Futures ETF, there's no yield associated with that product, right? There's not for now. I mean, there's, I think there's a lot of people conjecturing that there could be a time when those actively managed ETFs can stake. Okay, um, yeah. And, and I, so, but I don't you know, think like, that's like in Bitto, the proposal of the one. Yeah, I can't remember what the spread is year to date of bit. You know, there's an underperformance from the futures role in Bitto versus that's, you know, that's kind Massive. of the main main reason why. From a performance perspective, you know, spot is is preferable to to the, to Bitto. Um, it's to, huge, to actually. It, yeah, it, it's yeah. huge. And if you look at the Bitto launch, there was a huge problem because it was so successful and so large and did a billion so fast that for them to even be able to have the ETF listed, they had to go past the thirty day dated contracts, and they were out to right. sixty, ninety 
a hundred and something days. And the, the further you go out, obviously, on buying futures contracts, the less, the less they're going to accurately track spot. I mean, this is literally the argument for spot ETFs. Like if you're going to give us the futures one and you're going to give us 2x leverage ETFs, how can you not give a spot ETF that will actually track the underlying asset and right. have minimal fees? It's so right. Yeah. So I was just going to say to the extent that that makes Bitto, you know, an inferior product to spot Bitcoin, then with ETH and an ETH, you, you know, you're not getting any staking yield. So that's just even more of an inferior product relative to holding spot ETH, which is kind of tough. And then right. the other thing I was the other thing I was going to say about Gensler talking yesterday, you know, they asked him, he asked him, he got asked specifically on um, on the on the Bitcoin ETF, the spot ETFs and the grayscale ruling got specifically asked about that. And his his response was was a little weird. He said, wasn't that in district court? And then he corrected himself saying oh, no, appellate. In yeah. appellate court, <laughs> which I didn't know how much to like read into if there's like something kind of Freudian, you know, in that or or not. But when you when yes, you sir. look at the t- so when you combine maybe what he did or did not say in the in the hearing with the fact that they came out yesterday and delayed, was it three spot Ethereum ETFs? It was a two or three. Three spot Ethereum two. and two Bitcoin ETF and through two Bitcoin spot, I think. Yeah. Oh, uh, which which Bitcoin spot ETF did they delay? I didn't see that. I believe Arc Arc Twenty One shares. Yeah, and, oh, it was just that one because it had the yeah yeah yeah. That's right. That it had that. Um, yeah. So I feel like at this point they're probably going to delay all of those, which then and and it seems like they're doing that under the guise of a government shutdown. But that's really weird because it's in November. You know, these were like November dates, and like the average government shutdown is seven days. So it's you almost can't help but wonder if they're using this as an excuse to punt on a bunch of this stuff. But I then, are, I, yeah. And then I, I asked somebody that would probably know whether or not they thought that the SEC could continue to work on the grayscale response that's due in the middle of October, if that's like deemed quote unquote essential. And would they be able to continue to work on that during a government shutdown? And this person said he thought they probably could. Um, so that means that, like, if they're going to punt on all of these, and you're just going to be hanging on, like, under the guise of government shutdown, and then you're just going to be right. hanging out to be there. Fair. Yeah, to, yeah, with the great scale. To be fair, deal. Travis. I mean, if the if the shutdown happens, it would be by this weekend, right? And so, yeah, JP, um, JP Morgan put at ninety percent. By the way, all right. Yeah, yeah, and I, and I can't understand. I asked Steve and Matt about this because they obviously have a lot of color on it, and I think the consensus is that. Uh, the SEC was probably going to kick these down the road uh, maybe tomorrow, today or tomorrow, ahead of the government shutdown, but ended up just doing it because they had the letter from the four <laughs> congressmen that day. And they said, well, if we've already got these lined up for a uh, delay. Let's go ahead and do it uh, 45 minutes after these congressmen push as sort of an F you, you know, and, and push the button. But I do think there is something to be said for the fact that they would – uh, push with the government shutdown coming because as we know, and I got a maybe on this question because it's so confusing, but as we know, and I said before, if they don't deny and don't have the staff to deny, effectively these products just become available. So they have to actively reject them or all of a sudden on October 15th, shutdown or not, we would start to see these right. approved. And that's the last thing the SEC. 
And guys, just to add a little uh, context there, there's actually seven of these spot Bitcoin ETFs that are their second deadline comes in the middle of October. 10 17 10 16 10 19 and then after that if they don't get approved in october the next deadlines really come in in january is where we'd be at on that cool right stop i mean it's still it still seems like it all comes down to grayscale that's what it feels like like what it, how is the sec going to respond in in the grayscale ruling Yeah, it's the big question overhanging for sure. What are you, what'd you say? I was just saying, Scott, like, is there more you wanted to talk about on this particular point? Because we've kind of covered everything. Uh, we can cover the economy tomorrow. I think we've done enough for today. Yeah, I agree. I think that was a great. Uh, uh, the open AI uh, discussion, we'll probably do that tomorrow. They, they want to raise at a 90 billion. What was it? What was the valuation they're raising out? Does anyone remember? Because they want to launch the open AI is launching a new phone. I haven't read the story. Not sure if anyone has. I'll see Joe request. Probably he knows the story. If you do, Joe, if you want to talk about anything else, like we're wrapping up, but if you know about the OpenAI, maybe just a quick one-minute overview of the story there. ChatGPT make an OpenAI to raise funds at a valuation of 80 to 90 billion. Um, and that's because they, so <laughs> they want to uh, launch a new phone um, that was mentioned earlier um, earlier today. So I'll put that as a story to cover, cover tomorrow, but that's... Uh, um, you know, pretty crazy on the AI side. We also have news of um, CIA. It's nothing too exciting, but people like when they hear CIA. CIA is launching the AI to compete with China. I think they were explicit about it as well. Um, and we've got um, a Meta uh, investing heavy on the AI side as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I think this is it. So yeah, ex-Apple designer Johnny Ive uh, and OpenAI Sam Altman discussing AI hardware device, essentially a phone. Um, so that's going to be, uh, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about this to, tomorrow, even though it's not about crypto. Uh, but I think that's it from my end, Scott. Anything else? I think that's it. We'll cover the yeah. economy. Yeah, I think we're, I'm glad we did today's space because we covered so many stories we skipped over the last two days. Because yesterday was Gensler, before that was Bitcoin and ETH and Vitalik. Um, so now we're back. Uh, you know, we were caught up again. But before that, we had a good old-fashioned uh, Twitter space rugging repeatedly. Uh, we hadn't had that in a long time, though. Uh, actually, it's yeah, I don't know. interesting, Mario, because you do these all the time. But at the beginning, we used to get, like, cut off literally all the time. So I, it hadn't happened in months. I didn't even remember that that happened until we had it twice on, <laughs> on Wednesday. Yeah, it happened, it happened again last night. Um, so I, I put out, I started a space and I went to bed because I wasn't running it, but I did it from my phone and Suli was running it as the GOP live debate. And then I was about to go to sleep and then the space uh, rug, so I'd get out of bed and start it again. So it was uh, not, a, not a pleasant 48 hours, but otherwise you yeah, know, the rug improved drastically. And, and talking about X, um, not sure if you know, but X is almost me and you debate on, on, on the future of X Twitter and, and how it's doing. Then I keep mentioning the metrics, like the numbers of users, the video views, etc., and how they're, they're hitting all-time highs. Well, today, uh, the C I'll tweet about it in a bit, but the CEO talked about um, X reaching profitability by early, I think, first quarter or early next year, early 2024. So you've got X now. Is that going to happen by charging everybody to use it? By their conjecture? <laughs> no, 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 they, or is that? no, no, this is because advertisers, uh, I've got the news actually on my phone because the team is writing up a tweet, but it's because most um, most advertisers have returned. So I'll read out the, the exact news, but you know, that's, uh, it kind of answers your question on why I'm going all in on, 
on on X and not expanding to other shitty platforms like YouTube. So she says ninety percent of the top one hundred advertisers have returned to the platform, and the and in the past twelve weeks alone, about a thousand five hundred have returned. So in other words, all the advertisers that left worried about you know, um, uh, uh, you know wh whatever all these shitty reports about hate speech and all that by the uh, ADL and the other organization. And I'm saying shitty because I've looked into the reports and they were very unfair. At least one of them was very, very unfair. Um, but they're seeing that actually the platform's doing pretty well. There was an independent report that showed hate speech actually pretty damn low. Um, so, um, yeah. They're pretty classic, right? That, I mean, isn't it pretty classic that they, like these advertisers, made a big stink? They got their big PR moment about uh, pushing back and please their audience. And then they quietly just come back and maybe there's genuine fears or genuine worries but when then elon obviously hiring linda and linda's doing a great job and that's her you know her right. background is, is getting advertisers and then elon being pretty explicit on multiple occasions that hey hate speech is not allowed anti-semitism is not allowed and uh, it's not okay um and he's pretty explicit about it so then people are like all right cool maybe it's not as bad as the media made it out to be right. just just we're trying to sign up yeah, yeah, I know we're trying to sign off. Just uh, one more thing to add here, because I have a uh, very close personal contact who works directly with the CEO of Twitter and uh, just some inside baseball. It seems that, and I love the platform, always going to be here, but Elon makes changes on the fly, middle of the night, he'll send out like product changes, like the whole chain changed to X, the whole team was not communicated with ahead of time. He just did it, um, had his few developers just change it. And then the team basically had to go through communicate with all the advertisers, communicate with uh, all the branding and try to figure things out. And there's a lot of that going on behind the scenes. So I think there's going to be a lot more changes coming to Twitter. Uh, some of them might work, some of them <laughs> might not, but he's he's definitely trying stuff and he's definitely definitely really engaged, but um, it's a bit fly by night over there. Yeah, I think and you can tell that just even anecdotally. Like, yeah, I mean, X was like halfway changed. We all saw that. It's like everything was still like a retweet, but you were on X, <laughs> you know, it took a couple of weeks to do reposts. Yeah, so. My, my, my contact was literally telling me that they woke up in the middle of the night, they saw the tweet, that's that's how everyone in, in Twitter found out, and they had to decide the next day. They had on one side of the whiteboard, uh, you know, tweet, okay, what do we call it now? Or retweet, what do we call that now? Like, just literally down the line to try to figure out everything. So, it's, uh, you know, we, we know how fast Elon like, likes to move, but, uh, you know, that's what we're going to be dealing with, I think, at Twitter as well for, for a little while. Yeah, fun, funny enough, I'll actually ask this. we got Walter Isaacson. We're launching our video series today's our first interview video interview on, on X. Anyone not, not leveraging video on X, you're, you're missing out. But we're doing the first one today. and We're going to have Walter Isaacson, who wrote the biography for Elon. So we'll ask him about this. Uh, and, uh, and uh, you know, his biography is really good. It gives you an idea of how Elon thinks and how he acts as well. Um, but like, man, it's just insane how well he's doing. And that's not just trying to be objectively saying this, whether it's Tesla, obviously X and the numbers and, and, and uh, the recovery from all advertisers leaving. And obviously yesterday he won the... Uh, he won the contract for with the U.S. Space Force. It's like a seven, $90 million contract. SpaceX won it, um, and uh, and he's still battling it out for another nine dollars worth of contracts throughout the next few years. So uh, yeah, fucking hell, man, he's doing well. Pisses me off how well he's doing because I'm like shit. I wish I can grow that fast. But yeah, I think that's it, Scott. Let's just ride the very, 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 very last tip of the coattail here on Twitter on X. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much. <laughs>